Hello, April. Hello, Cindy. How are you doing? I can see your face today. You look so pretty. Oh, thanks. You know, took a lot of uh, plastic surgery to get to this point. So thank oh, you. That, that's where you've been having some yeah. little bit of surgery. That's I right. do want to get my lips done really bad. Pumped up. Yes. So <laughs> let's get it out of the way. The weather report in Portland, Oregon is what? Overcast. Woo, moody. Okay. Yeah. It depends on the hour. Right. And what is going on in April world? Well, I've been training some assistants. I know we had that mentoring episode with Shelby a little bit earlier. So I've been training some assistants at an office, a bigger office, and that's going well, bringing together the assisting team a little more cohesively for the doctor's request. And let's see the beer business. Well, we're going to get a canning line here soon. And ta-da, this is big news. We hired a female brewer. So is this the first female brewer? Not, we're not the first brewery to ever do that, but first for our facility. Mm, We're we're still in the minority as far as in the brewing community. That's exciting. So a canning is, what does that mean? We got a canning machine. So instead of a mobile canner coming in, paying them to do that, to can our beer. So it gets out into public, we have a canning machine that we're going to have on site. So it's like having your own lab. Yes. Of, that's awesome. Yes. Well, and I want to come help sometime and wear one of those hats and an apron and put the well, cans through. Well, I joked one time, it's going to be like Laverne and Shirley. So we dress up like Laverne and Shirley. I was thinking that. Yeah. And I did do a tour at Woodmere Brewery. Yeah. And they do that, right? The cannery. Mm-hmm. There, so I got to see how that's pretty cool. Well, that's exciting. Congratulations. I'm glad things are going well. Yes. And I've been doing a lot of um, infection control courses, training, CE, also OSHA and HIPAA, doing some speaking to practices and uh, trainings. So that's pretty exciting. We're going to have a seminar, aren't we? At some we point? are. We are planning our first in-person fiesta. Dental ailments gone live. Dental ailment. Lots of L. Yes. <laughs> there will be a brewery tour. Yes. And we may put you to work. On the canning line. On the canning line. The can can. Can 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 you do it? That's exciting. And what else? What's better than having brewery with CE? I know. How many people can can claim that? I know. Yeah. It's gonna be great. So we will definitely let you guys know more information about that and when it's going to happen and uh, the exciting lineup. So stay right. stay tuned. Ready for so, spring. Yes. So what is going on with Dory? That episode, the last episode was amazing. And uh, I'm curious to see how Solomon's doing or if did they find a dentist? So sounds like we're gaining some momentum on that. We're bringing some more awareness to the community for the butterfly children. Frank has been in contact with one of the research foundations and they are helping spread the word. They are going to put the podcast in their next newsletter. Sounds like they helped Dory find a dentist for Solomon. So let's keep our fingers crossed on that. Yes. So Solomon will be his wish. And then we also are working with program directors for pediatric dental uh, research facilities at the dental schools to come up with a centralized directory for these parents of EB kids for dentists that can work on their kids. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you guys thought we were just beer drinking podcasters here. We're saving saving Solomon. Yes. No, that's all. I'm so excited. And then the Emmy dent too, to be honest, I just used it not too long ago. I was amazed. I was, I don't know. I was thinking it wasn't for everybody, but it's actually for anybody can use it. It's not just for surgery patients or, or special, um, special reasons. It's for everybody. And I honestly, uh, my teeth felt so clean. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? You're not brushing. Yeah. Yeah. Clean. Honestly I did. And I'm, I brushed my teeth in the morning and then that night I'm like, I don't feel like I really need to brush. You know, when you get your teeth clean, you feel like mm-hmm. you don't need to brush at night because they're so clean. I really felt that way. And you know what? Yeah. I didn't brush. I know it's awful, but 
don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I won't. I won't. Felt so clean. I was like, huh, I don't. I don't think I got to. I got 24 hours before the the bugs start multiplying, right? Yeah, that's right. So hopefully we can get some people to win the raffle. Yes. So there's going to be a raffle. Not just are we, or Aflex is giving away an Aflex arm and more goodies, not just an Aflex arm, but all kinds of good stuff. Also, Amy Dent is giving away some brushes. Yes. So be sure to go to root you on R-O-O-T-U the letter U on.com. And there's a spot there. Just scroll down a second and it'll say sign up here to win. And there's, there's prizes and there's lots of them and they're good ones and they're awesome. And yeah. And it's really amazing of these people to, to do that for, for our listeners. Yes. These are high value prizes as well. So yes, people in the dental community try to win the brush, the Emmy Dunn and the Aflex. Yes. Aflex, Aflex, Aflex. I always mispronounce it. Emmy, Emmy Dunn. Yeah. So you'll, you'll see all the information there on the site. And we'll also po- uh, post about the our event too when um, we get closer and have more details for you. Well, I'm excited okay. about that. Me too. Actually, I'm super excited. Yeah. Well, we're, so going, you- we're going on tour. We're going on tour. Just get the t-shirt. Going on port on poor. We're going on tour to Southeast Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Culmination Brewing, but we may expand beyond that. Maybe to the Clackamas uh, County Fair. <laughs> Yes. So the brewery actually have a pretty big space there, but anyway, we'll figure it out. It's a, it's a good start. Yeah. Everybody in podcast land and dental land. Thank you for listening. La la land. La la land. Thank you for listening and yeah. Enter to win. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. So on today's episode, we have Sharon Dolak. Sharon is a transition coach. She is also a trained mediator and an experienced hygienist has retired from hygiene and now devotes her time to help others transition out of the operatory. So whether you are looking to transfer to a different role in dentistry or trying to find your passion out of dentistry, Sharon has the answers for you. She doesn't have the answers, but she will help you dive deep and find your why, your answer, your passion that you might not even know you have. Thank you very much. It's really great to be here. Uh, My name is Sharon Dolak from Coaching Bravery. I am a non-practicing dental hygienist, but I did practice dental hygiene for well over 30 years. And I found that my, my, I I really wasn't meant for the profession. Uh, I was able to do it and slug through it, but it really wasn't true to my nature, what I enjoyed, what my interests were, my introverted nature. It just didn't suit me. And I recognized that very quickly. So that started me on a path to want to find a way out. And so I I met up with a a career transition coach who worked for IBM. And she met with me numbers of times and worked with my interests, my skills, my goals, my vision. And I realized very quickly that I wanted to do what she did. So I got trained to do that and been doing it ever since, since 2006. And then along the way, and still working in dental hygiene, the other part of my training comes from, well, was actually born from a lot of conflict in the dental office. And because of my background and how I naturally deal with conflict, I I wasn't very skilled at it. So I decided to get some training in that and became a mediator. And now I conflict, I, I do conflict resolution in uh, businesses, 
restaurants, the city of Fort Worth, and uh, just help employee relations uh, to communicate and resolve the conflict. So since COVID, I've been doing both full-time, mainly the career direction transition for many, many hygienists that have come to me who are looking for a way out and experiencing a lot of enhanced stress because of COVID. So that's what I do. And I love it. I'm enjoying it and uh, very happy to help my fellow colleagues. Well, that's fantastic. And I like how you said that you are a mediator. So did you go to school for that? Like you're a real mediator? Yes, I'm a real mediator. I went to to Texas Women's University and um, have all the bells and whistles to practice mediation in the state of Texas. Uh, Truth be told, though, I do not do divorce mediation. I have done it, but that's not what I enjoy doing. I I like one-on-one coaching. I like coaching couples through conflict, uh, individual conflict. And if if a couple is divorcing and they need some some extra help in resolving issues as far as splitting and assets and debt and things like that, I certainly will do that. But my heart is to do mediation for couples who actually want to stay together, who are approaching divorce, but don't want to divorce, but they have all this unresolved conflict. So I do that as well. And I I get a lot of um, satisfaction and value from that. Oh, that's great. Because sometimes if they had somebody that could show them both sides, then they could be happy. And do you think that's the same with hygienists? There's so many hygienists wanting to leave practices. And, well, and I wonder if it's okay that if you could talk to the hygienist and the doctor of the practice, if they could work something out and they could be happy and you could actually be happy, a happy hygienist. It's possible. Uh, what I find is in, in most workplaces, but especially in dentistry, is that we bring our, our typical coping method of how to handle conflict that started when we were younger, that we bring that dynamic into the workplace and play out our role in the workplace like we did when we were younger. So we play out that role that we became comfortable with in our childhood and we bring it into the office and so are other coworkers. So for me and for a lot of hygienists, we are people pleasers and perfectionists. So the people pleaser will attract to them, whether it's in our work relationships or our personal relationships, we will attract people to us in our relationships who will take advantage of that. Or in our workplace, we will butt heads with a person who will take advantage of our people pleasing nature. So many hygienists are people pleasers and perfectionists. But the other piece of that in the workplace is that there are people who are not people pleasers, that they actually are more of a fight mode. And those two will butt heads. It's the key is to recognize a lot of times when I help hygienists, you know, when we're working through our career transition coaching call is we have to identify that the reason why they have trouble finding what their interests are and another career path is because they're a people pleaser and that people pleasers are not allowed to have a self somewhere along the way. They were not allowed to identify or identify what their identity was, to find out who they were as a child, to say no to someone. And 
they're lost because they're always putting other people first. And they're also controlled by the need to please other people. So when you're always pleasing someone else, you never really take care of your, yourself and find out who you are. Do you think one reason they do that is because they don't want to find out about themselves? Or is it like if they were a middle child or a younger child, kind of like the birth sequence? They're people pleasers, but how do they get to be like that? Is it naturally, are they naturally born that way? That's a, that's a good question. No, we don't come out of the womb people pleasers. We are actually groomed. If, if you've heard of the fight and flight response, so if we come up against a threat, whether it's real or perceived threat or even abandonment, we're going to fight, meaning we're going to run, you know, we're going to fight the bear or we're going to run from the bear. Now, when we're young, we can't run away. When we're young, we can't fight the parent. That's going to get us in trouble. So, but there are two more responses that we could have to that. So you have fight, you have flight, you have freeze mode. And freeze mode is a response is like a deer in headlights. You're going to check out, you're going to disassociate, you're going to binge on Netflix, scroll through Facebook. You're going to put down any idea that you have to better your life. You're going to put it down and you're just going to check out when you become overwhelmed. And then the last response is is called fawn mode, which is people pleasing and perfectionism. And all of these come, we develop these responses from some childhood issue. So many times in a conversation, when I'm hearing um, a hygienist talk about why she didn't pursue this one interest that she had, lots of times it comes back to that she put it down because she was overwhelmed or she put it down because someone else didn't approve of it. Whether it's real or conscious or subconscious. So it comes from how we had to survive when we were a child. We were in survival mode. We learned that we can fight, flight, freeze, or fawn and be a people pleaser. And that continues into our adulthood, but we just don't realize that it's going on. When we were a child, if we did not people please, say we had a parent who was an alcoholic or two parents who were working and they were just not available emotionally, it doesn't have to be the big ones like physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse. It could just be something very simple as, you know, being a, a sibling of, of six, six fam- other family members. But what it did was it taught us that we need to be quiet. We need to blend in. We, we shouldn't cause trouble. We're not allowed to say no, because if we did, then trouble's going to happen. There's going to be some kind of consequence. Now, we get through our childhood and we survive that, but that little inner voice is still at play today. So when we do try to do something new, the inner voice or the inner child says, oh, no, no, no. My job is to keep you safe. I'm still on the job here. And she will be the one that will make you put an idea down, change careers. She will be the one that say you can't do it. She's the one that comes up with the excuses and the reasons because she thinks that she's trying to keep you safe. But the reality of it is is a lie. It is a big lie. And how you overcome that is problem solving. But first, you need to be aware that there is people pleasing and perfectionism going on, and it's no longer serving you. You're not in survival mode anymore. How does one find out? How does somebody realize that? 
how do they realize that they're a people pleaser? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people know if they are, but sometimes they don't realize it's that it's like the inner voice in your head, like your inner child, like you were saying. But it's so automatic, it's so natural, just like blinking that they don't see it or they don't realize it. It's true. It is ingrained in your neuro pathways. It's it is ingrained. I would, since we're speaking to hygienists here, I would feel very confident that probably 99.9% of hygienists are people pleasers and perfectionists. It's what attracted them to the profession. Every call that I get is I want to help people. And, and people pleasing in society is very accepted. It's applauded. But when it comes to, to the point where you don't have a self and you're exhausted at the end of the day from people pleasing and being perfect, it's, it's unhealthy. It is. And I do see that in a lot of hygienists. And you think they work so hard to go to school and to, to do all the, all the stuff for their career, but yet they're in the practice and they're working, just seeing so many patients and then you know, helping with the doctor and just really taking, taking obedience sometimes because they are a people pleaser and they don't want to stand up or even ask to use the bathroom or take a break. And they need to start to take care of themselves and really stand up and, and realize that they are important and they need to take care of themselves or they can't take care of other people. Exactly. The hygienists, for the most part, especially in COVID world here, are exhausted, tired, they're empty, they're not being fed, and they're at the same time driven, driven by the office needs and the rules in the office, but also they are driven and controlled by their need to please others and do well and be perfect and be good. And so when when they don't, what happens is if something goes wrong, which naturally does, they double down on the perfectionist. They say, oh, I did something wrong. I'm not good enough. I'm not doing something right. And so they double down and, and say, let me do it better next time. And that just continues this cycle of just, just being completely exhausted and overwhelmed. Right. So how do you work with um, hygienists or I guess assistants or doctors too, you could work with anybody. It sounds like, how do you help them transition out of the operatory? One of the, one of the first things is when, you know, when I'm doing career transition coaching, let's say, uh, I like to get a history of starting back in high school, what they were interested in then, and then what got them directed towards dental hygiene. And I have them give me their history their career history, and then what's going on today. And and I'm listening carefully. I'm listening to how they are speaking, what they're saying about themselves. And really, they think it's just about their career history, but I'm, I'm listening at a much deeper level. And so I can very easily recognize when someone has a fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response that they're used to, but they don't see it in themselves. So we'll have the conversation about careers and their interest and what their values are and what their goals are, but every call has to go towards the barriers. What is their barrier? They have many, many ideas, many great ideas of what they could do for a living. And then I'll hear, but I can't. I don't know what that is. I don't know how to do this. I need to make money. I make good money in dental hygiene. So then all of these reasons that come in, 
to play in the conversation, I start to point out to them, is this a psychological barrier or is this a real barrier? And we start to dissect that. And more times than not, it is a psychological barrier. And that's when I start to introduce the idea of people pleasing and perfectionism. And many hygienists too are freeze mode because they're giving so much during the day. They come home, they have their relationship with their husband or spouse or partner, and they're exhausted and they just want to lie down. And then they start to realize, I have nothing to give. I'm not living my life. I'm just going to work, waking up, going to work, pouring myself out into my workplace. And I come home and I can't even have a relationship with my my husband or my wife or my family. And they they painfully don't recognize and can't see a way out. They feel stuck. So what I I want to please their family too, because they make a lot of money, but do you think they really make a lot of money? I know it seems like it and the hourly wage, it seems like we make a lot of money, but do you know any rich hygienist? I was, when I was working in a practice before I was a hygienist, I thought the same thing. Like, oh, they make so much money. And so, so much is expected out of us because we make so much money. We make so much money. But I was buying the hygienist lunch because they were so broke from paying for oh, student loans, taxes, right. massages, chiropractors, therapy, so you name it, everything. But I mean, they were I mean, just like they were dirt poor, worn out, you know, poor just in every aspect, poor of energy and and I just, I didn't get it until I became a hygienist. And it's just amazing. It, it's true. And it's sad. Hygienists do make good money. They do, but they pay dearly for it. They pay dearly for all of the things that you've just listed and the toll that it takes on them uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It takes its toll. And it's different than out in the real world out of dental hygiene, out of dentistry. Not that other career paths aren't stressful, but there are resources for them out in the real world that hygienists don't have. So there's if there's conflict in the office or they're feeling overwhelmed about something or there's, you know, their schedule is horrible, they they don't have a human resource person to go to typically unless they're in corporate. But that's a whole different story that they could say, hey, I'm struggling here. I need some support here. This is what's going on here with this relationship. They don't have that. They have in dentistry a family dynamic that is playing out that many, many times is unhealthy. But they feel the golden handcuffs. They feel like they can't make any more money anywhere else. And The reality of it is now when they change careers, they may take a hit in their pay, but they will meet and exceed their pay if they can get out of dentistry and out of healthcare. There is a ceiling that most hygienists are at. Maybe they'll get a 50 cent raise here and there, but it's it's few and far between. They're they're like a couple of years in between that they get these raises. And it's yes, good money on paper, but they're going nowhere. And that does too contribute to their feeling stuck. They're not getting paid anymore, and there's zero room for advancement. Right. And so, when you're coaching hygienists, 
do mo- do you coach most of them to get out of dentistry altogether, out of healthcare, like you said, or what kind of what kind of positions are these hygienists going into? What what are you seeing as a trend? Well, what I what I hear is they want to do a lot logical lateral move. So I hear a lot about healthcare administration if they have an upper degree. I hear a lot of myofunctional therapy and health coaching, and or sales. All of those are great professions. But every hygienist who's looking for a career transition is looking at those. Plus, people in the outside world are looking at those positions as well. And and there's not a whole lot of myofunctional therapy positions or patients out there that they could reach. Um, So I find that the careers that hygienists are logically, laterally trying to move to is really not a good fit or... It, it's just overwhelmed. There's just too many people entering into that field. So to answer your question directly, yes, I one of the biggest questions I ask is, are you willing to look outside of healthcare, outside of dentistry? Because if you are, then your whole world opens up. And then typically the response I get is, yes, but I just don't know what that is. And I, or I don't think I have the skills. Well, I answer that pretty quickly. I mean, dental hygienists have so many transferable skills, so many things that would work well in another profession. Now, they may need to train a little bit in the specifics of that career path, but they have many, many skills, broad, wide skills that could take them anywhere. And then when they start to say, well, how do I do this? I I don't know what, what I would do. Well, we start talking about people pleasing and why they don't have an idea about themselves because they were never allowed to figure out themselves and who they are or have an identity. And then we start to talk very deeply about their interests. My philosophy is, is that everything, and I'll say this in the call, because I have to set up how I want them to think about their, their new career. I don't want them to go down a logical lateral move. I want them to go down a road that interests them. What are your interests? So I say, you think of everything in your history as below the ground. And then just above the ground is a big fat tree trunk. And on that tree trunk, we're going to label it interests. And we're going to spend the next bit of this hour trying to identify what your interests are. And then we I give them a step-by-step process on how to explore those interests to see whether it's a true interest, where does it lead them up into the tree trunk, into the branches, and what different direction? Is it a true interest or is it a hard no? Because the, the flip side of not knowing what to do is not knowing and understanding that this is not a good fit. They've never never went down that road when they chose dental hygiene. Most of them, they saw that it pays well, it's flexible hours, all the things that they were told, but never really took a deep dive into whether this really interests me. Does this fit my personality? Does this fit what I want for my life? Does this fit my vision, my goals, my values? So we go down that road. And once we identify what their interests are, then I get another barrier. Well, how can I make money at that? That's not practical. You know, they come up, then that those barriers, that psychological response of I can't do it comes in. And so then we start talking about that too. And 
one of the questions I ask them to help push against that thinking is I ask them, is it true? Is it, is it true? Can you absolutely know for sure that it's true that you won't make that money or that you don't have the skills to do that? Is it true? And we go through a, a, a bit of an exercise there. So I give my clients as many tools and ask deep questions to help them get deeper than what they're thinking. We have to get beyond their their barriers, their ingrained thinking. That is just a lie. So most of my calls take about an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. Yeah, just to get to the basics that they don't even know are in their roots, like you were saying. Do you think as a child, some of the things that, like if we would play doctor or teacher or, you know, office, does that have some of what your passions are later? Do you see any correlation between those? I'm not sure I'm understanding the question. Are you saying, do they abandon some of those things? Yeah. When they go, when they go back now and kind of think about what their passion is. Yeah. Do you find that maybe when they were kids, like if they would play teacher or, you know, school, Uh maybe now their passion is teaching and they, they just kind of buried that somewhere along the line because somebody told them that it wasn't feasible or, you know, it wasn't too hard, you know, it's hard. Exactly. Yes. I, I do. I do understand the question now. Thank you. Um, that's the reason why I go back to high school because they had dreams in high school. They had ideas in high school. And many times someone, and, and a lot of it is their family culture. A lot of this is, you know, a boyfriend or a partner or somebody said, hey, do this instead of that. Or a parent saying that's just not practical and would talk them out, talk them out of it meaning well of doing what their heart said that they want to do. So I have to bring them back to that. And then I examine that. We examine it together, whether it's a true interest or not, whether it was something that they really, truly wanted to do and they abandoned it for whatever reason, or whether it was just a thought that they had and and didn't explore. So we go explore. I explore their history and what they thought of before. Inevitably, what comes out in a conversation is this. Once I get them to understand that I don't, I want to talk about what you're interested in. Let's put your barriers aside. Let's put down your inner critic. Let's get that aside. I want to know what your, your interests are. And then it come, they find, when they finally get that and understand that they could just explore with me, it's a safe environment. We're just, we're just talking. You and me, we're just talking. Then they say, you know what I've always wanted to do? You know what I really like? They start saying stuff like that, and then their voice changes. You can hear the passion. You can hear the desire and the excitement. And then, then we go down that road. I can hear it. And it means the difference. It's, the, it's, a, it's a world of difference. Yeah, that's really great. It sounds like a really uh, intimate and really exciting journey to do this with you and to find out who you really are. There's that little seed in all of us of what we are here for, you know, here to do and to find it and let that voice come out so much when we're younger. I know for me, you get told kind of what you are, what your position is, you know, you're the middle child, you're the quiet one, you're this, you're that, you know, you just get labeled as you go along and you're like, okay, that's who I am. I'm, that's me that I'm that one. I'm that one. But really, are you that one? Or you just told you're that one? It's exactly. I'm sad. Or did you take on that role to survive? And 
unfortunately, many times, well, being just being a middle child, you have to survive. <laughs> but oh, yeah, natural born mediator here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And the youngest child gets, you know, the oldest child, there's a thing called the hero, the scapegoat, um, the clown, yes. all of that, that I, I will on occasion talk about that, This, you know, when we're talking about what goes on, the dynamics in the workplace, many hygienists are actually the scapegoats. I'm going to turn a little bit towards conflict here. Many hygienists, because they're people pleasers, will avoid conflict, but they have strong ethics. They know what's right and wrong. After all, it's been ingrained in us. We, it was ingrained on us. What is the right way to practice? What is the right thing to do? What is wrong? What's bad? You can't do that. The law says this, the law says that. So when we see unethical behavior going on in the office, that really starts to grate on a hygienist. And they take it upon themselves to go into the boss and talk about it or talk to the person who's doing whatever it is that isn't right. And they think naturally that, well, okay, now that we've talked about it, things are going to be fine. But what happens is, is that person, she's upsetting the dynamics of the office. The other people are doing what they are doing because that's what they're getting paid for, whether it's right or wrong, that's what they're doing. And hygienists take on the role of trying to fix it, but it's really not their position. So they run into frustration when they go and talk to the boss and they think, well, he certainly is going to see that this is unethical and he's going to fix it, but he doesn't because it upsets the dynamic in the office. He has his role. The assistants have their role. And I'm not talking about their job titles. I'm talking the manager. I'm talking about who is in charge, who is to be doing something? Who is the scapegoat? Who's the well-liked person? Who can do no wrong? Those, those, those family dynamics play out in the office. So what happens is, is she's not understanding it. She doesn't get it. It causes her frustration and unhappiness. And she thinks, well, maybe I just didn't say it right. And she'll try again. She'll go into the boss. And what happens then is because the boss, he already knows what's going on, where the manager already knows what's going on and they don't change it, then the hygienist starts to represent a thorn in their side. Every time he sees her coming into her office, his office, he's thinking, oh, she's coming back with some problem I got to solve. And a lot of times he either doesn't want to or he's not equipped to. And so then she becomes the scapegoat of what's wrong in the office. And she starts to feel pressure and she starts to feel people talking about her, seeing eye rolling, and just generally gets disrespected. I see that many, many times. It's very yeah. sad. It's almost like get back to producing. That's how we feel. Get back, get back to producing, get back in your op. Right. What are you doing out? You're wasting time. You're burning time. You're burning my clock. You're yeah. costing me money every second. That's, yeah. how, that's how you feel like you're being looked at. Like every second is like, if you have one second free, they're trying to get you to do something because you make so much money. It's just yeah. crazy. <laughs> They just want you to sit down and play out your role and do your job. And while you're at it, do everybody else's job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because they're, they're not your assistants after all. You know, I, I have a, a passion for this. Actually, I mean, I worked in a very, very toxic environment for 20 years. And I wanted to get out. 
And I think that what makes me good at what I do is my training as a mediator. I learn how to listen. I know how to read between the lines and get deeper. And also, more so, is that I've lived it. I have lived it for well over 30 years, especially in the last 19. I've lived what every hygienist comes and talks to me about. So I know. I know it firsthand. And unfortunately, a lot of hygienists will talk to their friends or they'll talk to their spouse and or their parents. And they'll say, what are you doing? You have such a good job. It's so secure. You make a lot of money. And then they're guilty and shamed into thinking that, you know, what am I thinking? But here's the reality. When, when a hygienist is given her license, she thinks that she needs to be doing dental hygiene until she's 72 years old and decrepit. <laughs> but the reality is, is that most people outside of healthcare, outside of dentistry, they change their career direction three, four, five, and even sometimes up to seven times throughout their lifetime. I mean, our career history is 50 years. And they change their career direction so many times, and they don't think twice about it. Very rarely does a person end up working in the same position they did when they got their degree in the real world, in the outside world. They don't think twice about it. Now, a hygienist, she thinks many times that I had gave blood, sweat, and tears to this. I've, and if I leave it, it's almost like a betrayal. And, but the reality of it is, and that's what stops them, that's what holds it in, holds them into that profession. But the reality of it is, it's a stepping stone. It can be a stepping stone just like every other career is for every other person. It gave you skills, it taught you things, and now it's done. It served its purpose. It's time to move on and grow and do something else. That's so true. We feel so guilty. Like we have to stay in that position or we're, we're a loser, we're, we're a quitter. And the fact that there, like you said, we could do so many different things with our career and everybody else can. So, well, you know, why can't we? And I love the fact that you're a hygienist because also what you said, nobody understands unless you're a hygienist. And I've been there. I was the office manager. I know I did not understand. And I, so I understand why nobody else understands. You just can't. It's really, you really need a hygienist to help coach you through this because we understand we've been there and you have to have been there to truly help somebody get into their mind where they're at now and where they can go because it's such a different creature, I think, you know, being a hygienist. It is. It, it is. Uh, many, many hygienists got into the profession because they want to help people and they do help people, but that's actually secondary or even tertiary. The primary role of a hygienist is to produce money for the business. You are a provider to the business. And that's reality. And it's true. And of course, there's nothing against that. It is a business. But many times they feel duped. They think that they're going to go into the profession and be helping and creating health. And people are going to, their patients are going to value what they have to offer to them. But the reality of it is they are a producer. They're under pressure to produce. and helping that person is secondary or sometimes tertiary because the patient themselves doesn't even want the help. They, they don't value it. 
So they're hand-holding and trying to get through the procedure so that they can go on with their day. The patient can go on with their day. Very stressful profession, not easily understood by the outside world. Yeah, we're so production or results oriented that we see, we get, you know, we have it, we have tartar, we get it off, it's done. We, you know, it's like celebration eight times a day, um, production, celebration, we met our production goals. And then when we switch roles, like I'm doing different things now, you go back to the admin and there's no, you don't really see results. So it's really hard. It's a really hard transition because you don't see all the results. It's not, you don't see the production, you don't see the tartar off. And so it is really hard to grasp. I was an admin before going to hygiene, so it's a little bit easier for me, but that's got to be really tough for somebody that went straight into hygiene. And now they're trying to do this focus on another energy. And it's got to be really tough, don't you think? You know, I'm so glad you brought that up. Hygienists, we are very outcome-based and it's hard to get them out of that mindset. So one exercise that I have them to have them do to help them not be outcome-based is I'll, I'll tell a story about myself. Um, and I recommend this to every one of my clients when we go down this road is that creativity, doing something creative will help them to heal and open their minds. And so what I would do is I would I mean, I've done many, many creative things before I entered dental hygiene, and I love them, love being outdoors, love to um, fish, love to do crafts. So I decided to pick up painting once again, and I would sit at my table and I would get a brush and I would slap some paint on a canvas or a piece of paper. It was horrible. Oh my God, it's horrible. But I would do it and throw it away. Do it and throw it away. I get another canvas, get another piece of paper, get paint on there and throw it away. And that helped me not be consumed with the outcome that it had to be beautiful. It had to be perfect. It had to be something that's sellable or something that someone would buy. I would just throw it in the trash. It didn't matter anymore. But what it did was it created joy. It gave me joy. So and, and having a little bit of joy in someone's life when the day is so heavy can help you heal, can help you grow. So I encourage my the hygienist that I talk with to do something creative, whatever that is. It could be painting. Oh, I don't have any interest. I don't know what to do. Well, go walk through Michael's and, or, or Hobby Lobby and see what interests you, even if it's just picking up some, some polymer clay and squishing it around in your hand. It doesn't have to be a work of art or uh, a blanket that you've made. Just do something to stimulate the creativity that's there and that helps you to heal. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. I like walking, like hiking and taking, just taking pictures of beautiful nature. It kind of, you know, releases, you know, anxiety and bring, you know, brings you into the artistic spot in your mind too. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we're used to, even to this day, because I've worked for, you're, you're in school and then the instructor comes and checks your work all the time. And then you work for a dentist and they come and check your work. Even if they're not checking your work, it seems like it because they come in after you're done. And I've worked for a doctor that actually told my patient, I'm here to check her work. 
And here you are busting your butt. It's not your fault if the patient has so much harder and you have so much time. You're not going to get everything off, but you still have that fear. I still have that fear. Now I work one day a week in clinic and I don't work for a doctor like that at all. It's great. And that's why I'm doing it because I would never, ever go back to that. Never. Right. But I still have that fear. I still like, oh no, they're going to check to see if there's a little bit of stain. You know, it's not my fault. The patient has so much freaking stain that I can't get it off. And that's right. You know, and this doctor understands that. But you still have that in, embedded in you. Yes. Not good exactly. enough. You're not good enough if you can't get it all. And you're just, you bust your butt so hard. And yes. And that, that is pervasive. The perfectionism part of us. Uh, again, I'll say that started when you were younger, not you, or I'll just say the collective you, everyone. That this, this, and it's reinforced in hygiene school, no doubt. And it's reinforced in the doctor's office, no doubt. But it's actually, what happened when you were younger and the messages that you received that led you to that kind of profession that puts you on the hook all the time to be performing at a perfected level, which is impossible. So the perfectionism is a message that was received that if I'm not pretty enough, good enough, perfect enough, quiet enough, others focused enough, then trouble's going to happen. So everything I do, so even before I can even enter into a new, completely different career, I got to, I got to know how to do it. I got to be perfect enough. And uh, my answer to that is, is when most of the learning that we do in anything that we do comes in the doing of it. We go through school, we go through training and we learn the basics, but the true knowledge doesn't come until we're actually chair side doing it. It doesn't come until we're actually in the profession doing that. But many perfectionists, people, people pleasing perfectionists think that they have to have all that knowledge when they step in the door of a new career. And it's just not possible. But that is a psychological barrier that prevents them from changing. Yeah, for sure. So what, what kind of programs do you offer? How would somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to find out more information? Well, I, I have my website. It's not quite complete. It's coachingbravery.com. They can reach me at Sharon at SharonDolakMediation.com. I have my Facebook page and I'm on Instagram as Coaching Bravery. Um, they can reach me any of those ways. My phone number is 817. 817- 781-7910. I don't have programs. I am here for whatever anyone needs. I don't have a, a package. I'm just here when you need me. And I like that because there is no package. Everybody's package is different. My story is different than your story. We're all hygienists, but we all have a different story. So exactly. I, I like that because it, it's going to come in and you know evolve naturally. And we will put the note, the links in the show notes too. So anybody that wants to find Sharon can find them easily in the notes. Thank you. So as far as packages, as I, I personally don't feel comfortable, you know, people have different motivation levels, different energy levels, different commitments to wanting to change. So while it sounds good that you can get three, three visits for this, this, this amount of money, I want them to follow through with whatever it is. I want them to choose the next step for them, the next call, because that informs me that they're ready to move forward. 
So I make sure that I give every call, every hygienist, as much as I possibly can in that first call. And if they take off from there, then I've done my job. If they need more, they know they can come back for more. And they're not obligated to just go through the three, the three, you know. Yeah. And sometimes you're just not ready. You want to talk and that way it kind of breaks the seal and you get that information in you. So when you are ready, when it's time, you know, sometimes it takes a while for it to sink in and evolve. You start seeing things different after you have a, you know, a call and you start realizing things. And sometimes it could take a few months to get to that point where you're ready for the next step, the next call. Yeah. It's a lot to digest. It's a big move. Making a career change is, is for the brave. And so do you recommend people with hygiene? That is one great thing about it. We can cut back and work, you know, less days or, and we could temp, you know, which that way you can kind of work around other things while you're changing your career. Do you recommend that? Or do you recommend just pulling off the bandaid and going into a new career? It, it really is unique to them. We do have a financial discussion, what they need to make because that's reality. Right. Um, so we do have a financial discussion, what they need to make to keep the household happy for a period of time. And uh, we work within that reality. So um, sometimes it's it's one or the other that they can make the leap and just do it. Even Their husbands even give them permission to do it. But there's something that says, no, I need to contribute. And most husbands are like, get out of hygiene because they see us coming home done <laughs> wiped out like, <laughs> rub my neck and shut up yeah. <laughs> and then and then the other part is is if they do need to work part time to you know can you make enough money doing this to eliminate one day okay what is two days you can eliminate that you need to make but here's the thing it's not flexible hygiene is not flexible when a hygienist has to ask for a week off 6 months down the road and they're told that they can't because they're booked. That's not flexibility. Yes. Meanwhile, the office manager and the assistants are in Tahiti. Like, okay. Yes. Yes. Thought we were booked. Yeah. And when when they're told they can't take a day off because their child is sick, it's not flexibility. Or if they get the the you know the hairy eyeball the next day because they they took off and took care of their family. I mean, it's not flexible. So. It's not easy for a hygienist to transition from four or five days a week to two days a week at the same office. So we do talk about what is your readiness to look for another office that would allow you that transition, that you would actually just start at three days or two days. Right. No office is going to let you cut back. I almost guarantee that. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of pushback. And I'm, I have a couple clients I'm working with now just trying to help them overcome that issue. And by golly, these these women are just so strong. But how strong do we need to be? I mean, really, it just gets to the point where you just want to say, I don't want to have to be this strong. But they're strong mm-hmm. and they're doing it and they're making the moves that they need to make. I know, it's great. And once you do... I mean, it's scary, but once you, even if you don't, the universe is going to give you a push. And so it's not going to be a good way. Yeah. And once you do and you free up that time and energy, it is amazing how much stuff flows in to take its place. Like good stuff, you know, different things. Life. So you really have to let some stuff go if you want new things to come in, just like purging your closet in the spring. Right. It's life changing. Okay. Well, we're going to have to wrap up, but I'd love to do another um, 
session with you session, another <laughs> um, episode with you and maybe have somebody come on and we could do a coaching kind of like a sample and show somebody um, what it's like or help somebody if you're interested in that. Sure. I, I would be interested in that. It, it might work best if you have a number of people with one simple question that they've gotten stuck on mm. because on truthfully for me to get really deep into what's going on, it does take an hour, an hour and a half. And that might be too long for your, for your format that you have here. Yeah. It might be kind of boring for other people to listen to somebody's, but I'm, I'm I, it would be fun to do, um, you know, some, shoot me some questions. Okay. Yeah. We'll get the most common, um, the common question, yeah. common concern about transitioning and we can yeah. go over that topic. That would be great. Yeah. Awesome. I would okay. love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sharon, and I will make sure we put your links in the notes and we will have you back on the show soon. Yeah. So if you guys do have a common um, issue, please put it in the notes and that way we, in the notes, put it in the comments, anywhere you see the websites, go to our website, go to our Facebook page and let us know what your concerns are about transitioning out of the op, because we'd really like to help as many of you as we can. That's what our passion is. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on today. Thank you.